Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. There's a cat over here. There's a cat over there. And the wrong one died. And the wrong one died. Welcome to The Wrong Cat Died, the podcast breakdown of the cat catastrophe. I'm your host, Mike Abrams, and today we have a special guest. Before the shutdown, he was touring on the Cats National Tour as Old Deuteronomy. So welcome, Adam Richardson, and thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I am very excited to talk to you because I feel like there's a lot to ask still about Old Deuteronomy. But before we do that, I always love to start with your cat's history. So I know you've been on tour twice, but before you went on tour, before you started performing it, when was the first time you were exposed to it? When did you see it as a, you know, did you see it as a kid? It's funny. I was actually thinking about it today. I was like, oh, like, I'm sure that's one of going to be one of the questions, like, what's your cat's history? And I didn't see it as a kid. Um, I think the first time I remember even like knowing what it was, I, I was in high school. I went to performing arts high school in Virginia and we were having a rehearsal and like, you know, I mean, I'm not old, but I'm an age where like we still have like the rolly like um, TVs. It was like, oh, on, yeah, like yeah. the stand. And so it was, yeah. And so it was like on that, it was, like with the VCR underneath and like, it was just like playing in a room because we were like supposed to like go in and have like a rehearsal. And I was like, what is this? Like, I don't know what this is. This is so weird. And so I had a very negative, um, I guess, connotation towards cats, like all through college and even afterwards until I booked my first, like, that's uh, So that's interesting. Cause usually when I, I'm, I think we're probably around the same age, I had the same cart and that was like the best day ever substitute <laughs> teacher. You were going to just sit and watch a, a movie. Yeah. You didn't have to pay attention. Mm-hmm. But I went to, public school you know for a lot growing up and we like we just got like a like super old 70s 80s like world war ii history documentary (laughs) every time but it was just great because we didn't have to pay attention or actually do any work but you got at a performing arts school you got the the 1998 movie i'm assuming well it was just like on like the i remember the room was empty and it was just like on like someone had maybe started it before and had left the room and then like i went in the room later and it was just like playing like which just seems very like, uh, you know, apropos that like, it's just like on, like anyway, just, like, yeah, it, like it probably just like started itself. Um, yeah. so I just remember walking in and like being like, okay, these are humans as cats. And actually my best friend in high school, she loves like all Angela Weber. And I think they, um, the Virginia, Virginia Musical Theater did a production. And so she was like, uh, like a pit singer for that. And so she loved it and I was like, girl, I love you, but I don't like this show. Like, I don't get it. It just makes no sense to me. Um, and then, you know, years later, um, I did um, a non-act production at um, Flat Rock Playhouse in North Carolina. So, yeah, so let's let's cut to that. So you're now in it. You're, mm-hmm. you're, you're doing a production. You said this was 2000... I think it was 2013, yeah. 13, okay. Mm-hmm. And who were you covering um, in that in that show? So I was Old Deuteronomy. Old Deuteronomy. That, um, you know, it was, you know, with, you know, non you have to, like, um, you know, do the best you can. So, you know, you have to cut a couple cats here and there. But it was actually a really good production. Um, you know, it was a lot of high-level um, dancers and singing and um, the audience. I mean, it, 
as you know, obviously Cats Now and Forever, it's such an iconic and lovable show. And I remember, funny enough, I was backstage during intermission and my stage manager was like, hey, Adam, like, if you don't mind, can you please stay in costume after someone wants to meet you? And I was like, what? I was like in Nowheresville, North Carolina. I had like, like no one that I knew would come. And these two women were so lovely and they were just like, you know, you're our favorite character. We've seen the show so many times and we kept chatting and then like, well, where are you from? And I said, I'm just from a really small area in Virginia. You probably never heard of it. They're like, oh, well, we're like from Virginia. And I was like, oh, well, like cool thinking, you know, most people are like from Richmond or um, Northern Virginia. And they were like, well, where are you from? I said, it's really small town called Smithfield, Virginia. They're like, that's where we lived. And it was just like this crazy coincidence. And um, so, I mean, it's definitely like a show that has um, brought people into my life that I never would have thought of. <laughs> that's that's a, a cool story. It's definitely a show that everyone seems to have an opinion on, mm-hmm. no matter what, whether definitely. good, bad, um, but they, everyone has a thought on it. Yes. And so I, I think that's cool. So you, as old Deuteronomy in that production, I'm always curious to hear what were you told? about the character like how much did you like i know you went to cat school i think for the the most recent tour mm-hmm. but, but the first time were you told what were you told how much were you given? oh gosh i don't even like remember i mean i feel like i remember maybe the director just said you know you're old you're wise um i don't really remember like too much detail it's just like as far as that like you know like and then like i think with like every cast everyone has their own version of like you know, um, family ties to who's related to who and all that stuff. So I think we kind of did that work, um, but I don't really remember too much besides just, you know, being a 26 year old, old, like Deuteronomy, you know? Like, so we like the oldest cat and I was like 26 at the time. Yeah, so. yeah, it's gotta so, be kind of a, a weird role to play at a young age, considering mm-hmm. you're supposed to be the the oldest probably, I guess maybe Gus, although that's the tracks you played on the most recent tours, you played all the old characters, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so, okay, so you, you're given that, I, I do find it interesting. I wanna get into the family tree later. Okay. But tell me about Cat School. Like when you, cause you went from Booth Singer to then, um, Gus and Old Deuteronomy and then full-time Old Deuteronomy. What was that? You know, you, you covered a lot. You learned a lot. What were you told um, in that production, the most recent one? Yeah. So during the national tour, we started actually like roughly around this time, two years ago. Mm-hmm. And yeah, first day um, we had to get on the ground and crawl around and really just spent a lot before we learned a note of, of the score and or learned like any house of choreography, we just learned how to be felines. And it was a lot of just like, you know, how does your hand touch the ground? You know, there's a noise behind you. Um, what, what part of your body reacts first? I think naturally as humans, we would probably turn our head first versus like, you know, we were like, you know, maybe our back would like haunch up a little bit and then we would turn our head. So just like all like the very like, um, you know, specifics of being a cat, um, uh, it's just immense. I mean, even though both of, or like both tracks that I covered, um, mostly stood, I think Gus did have to crawl a little bit, if I remember correctly, like I still had to really just like get on the ground with everyone else and, um, just, you know, go through the ranks of yeah, cat school. Yeah. Okay. That's, I, I think that's such an interesting, it is a, a unique piece to this. And I, I do think as a, theater outsider like the concept of it and most people i talk to who aren't like in the theater world Mm -hmm. just like 
can't comprehend it. And then you meet the theater people and it's like, yeah, you know, it's part of getting into any role. It's, it's just a more unique version with it being cats, but coming from your background is, is opera singing, right? So you like, how does that, how did you kind of go between those two of like all of your work in the opera world and then onto cats, you know, like it's, it is, it is an opera kind of song. So like it, you know, it definitely fits that, um, that style in your voice, but it does seem like such a transition from the two different types of worlds that you kind of live in. Yeah, it was interesting. I mean, I think I started getting, I mean, again, going to performing arts high school, you know, you're surrounded by just so much. Like I was surrounded by um, so many people that have gone on to do so many wonderful things with Broadway, um, TV, film, movies. And so you're just kind of immersed around that. So like, I think I started to learn about musical theater in high school or just knowing about it, even though I wasn't in that program. And then in college, I went to Carnegie Mellon, which is like, I guess, world known for their theater program. And while I wasn't in the program, you know, still being adjacent, having friends in those programs, going to those productions. And then I moved to New York to go to grad school. And I just, honestly, I started going to musical theater auditions as a way to keep up my audition chops in general, because the classical audition period is a little, is more truncated than musical theater. Mm. Um, Musical theater is, you know, 365, um, you know, you can find an audition every day if if you want to. And then I just started booking work, just doing things like the Cats regional things, or um, I was doing a couple of productions at other regional houses, um, either in the area or in other states. And then I was actually got rather far in the Broadway revival that happened in 2016, 16. I I had gotten pretty far in that. um, And, you know, it didn't work out for me in that. And then just a couple of other things, either be a Broadway or national tour, just like so close, you know, going through all like the auditions and, you know, unfortunately not booking it. And then this came along and actually I wasn't even going to audition because I just remembered like how long I had to audition for the Broadway revival major and was like, no, they really like you. Like you should go in again. And I was like, fine, like whatever. And I did it and I booked it. And so it's vocally, it, you know, in opera, you sing maybe two, two shows a week, but in musical theater, you do eight. And so I think having the training that I, that I do have, like I was able to, you know, get through eight shows a week with a little wear and tear on my voice. Um, but then even doing like, especially when I did like the, you know, Buster for Jones, Gus, Peter tracks, where it was more dance, I guess I put in quotes heavy than my old Deuteronomy track, you know, just my body, because I'm not used to having to do that much movement was I was just like, oh, like I'm going to do like, you know, maybe 16 counts of dance in the whole show <laughs> and my body's exhausted. So, like you know, these <laughs> my colleagues are flipping and turning and twisting. So you know, it's, it definitely gave me and it gives me an appreciation. It's given me more of an appreciation. Yeah, it is. It is such a fascinating in the show in the sense of like, and again, maybe this is common in theater, but I just don't know enough about the world, but you, there's such a variety of what's important. There's tap dance, there's the heavy dance numbers, there's the, you know, the a, a certain types of singing, there's the opera singing, there's, I mean, it's, there's just such a, a wide range that it takes a very, um, diverse cast to be able to pull off like with a lot of different skill sets which i always thought was kind of an interesting and cool piece to this of and even as i've read more about like different productions sometimes somebody else is singing because they wanted somebody who's a better dancer but not as good of a singer and like that to me just is is a wild piece of how 
fluid this show is because it's been around for so long. And that, yes, in particular with this show, out of like the musical history, um, musical theater canon, you know, you have to be able to really do everything. Like the writing vocally is so high for if you're not trained in singing, like I would be terrified if I like showed up on the first day and the music director was like, okay, so like, you know, if you're, you know, in this group of, you know, cats singing the soprano line, I would be mortified if I like hadn't, if I didn't like know anything about music or just like, you know, how like unwell enough my voice worked because it's so, the demands are so, so much more than I think a lot of, especially of, the, of its time, you know, the early 80s, like it, it just really, I think, burst open a lot of just like um, things where it's like, you know, there's a singing chorus in musical theater and then there's like a dancing chorus. It was like, no, you have to be able to sing, dance and act. And I think also that's why there are the Pooh Singers, which was my original, um, my original job before I switched over. Yeah, and that was uh, so. That was the very first interview I did was with the Booth singer, and I thought that was such a unique thing because I didn't realize it. But then when I heard about it, it made so much sense of like how necessary that is, um, and it just was like kind of an interesting fun fact from behind the scenes. So um, I want to ask a couple other questions about your performances. So the first one is, and and you can correct me because I did not get to, so I was expecting to see the tour uh, in April in Indiana. Mm-hmm. which is where I'm from. My parents still, my family still live. So um, that guy was one of the first, you know, it was close and got canceled. But when I saw old Deuteronomy on the revival in intermission, he stayed on stage. Mm-hmm. Did you get asked to do that in your production? So when we originally um, rehearsed it and, and the first four months of tour, um, so we opened in January of 2019. And basically that was in like the old Deuteronomy staying on stage for the intermission, which is roughly about 20 minutes or so. Um, yeah, that was in. And then just some things that had kind of happened where it just wasn't, um, it got taken out. So um, for me, I, I got to do it a few times before it was taken out, just like when I would go on, like if, um, my predecessor um, had to call out or, you know, had any personal days or anything. So I did it a few times and I was like, oh, wow, like this is intense because you're just sitting there. And I think I'm assuming like as an audience member, you're wondering like, you know, what is he thinking? What's he doing? Is he going to do anything? And then also just like also an opportunity to get a picture with a human cat. So I think that's also like another so I, I had such a, the first time I saw it, I had such a weird kind of like the thoughts that ran through my head were I was fascinated by the set when I walked in. And so when intermission came, I actually was most interested in kind of looking around at all the details of the set. And then that's when I was like, wow, there's a cat up there. You know, I was like, that looks real. And it, it took me a second to realize that it was actually the character. Like it was actually the performer still sitting there. And then I'm like, wait, why is he doing this? And then it was just like, then people started slowly coming up to take selfies and pictures with him. And I was just like, this is, and I immediately I kept going, why would you agree to this? Like, why would you do this during your intermission? Um, and so it's kind of interesting to hear like your, your perspective on it. Did you, like as a performer, do you really want those 20 minutes back? Like, what's that like being part of a show that's like not part of the show? Um... 
me as like a person, as an actor, being in that costume is not the most comfortable. So like it would like one of the, the times that I did, I was like, it would just be so nice to be off stage, you know, with this costume off. So then I could then just get back in and then come out and sing and do the rest of the show. Um, it, you know, it's heavy. The costume is very heavy. And so just like, oh, I'm just like sitting here and like, you know, at the beginning of the week, it might be fine. But, you know, we had generally because we're on tour, we have five show weekends. So, you know, on Friday, you're like, I have to do wow. this two times tomorrow and two times on Sunday. I'm exhausted. Um, but I think as like an actor, like out of just thinking as like the character of Old Deuteronomy, I mean, I think it's it is necessary and I think it it works. It has like its power of like this old the oldest, the, the leader of the tribe, you know, after this big dance number where the cats have just kind of, in a way, um, shown their true colors, I guess, towards Grizabella, who is just trying to be a part of this group. And then, you know, he then sees her at the very end who sings, I guess we call it Little Memory, um, Memory One. Um, and then to watch her just be the two people on stage and, you know, you know, he knows that she doesn't see him. So she thinks she's having this very private moment and he witnesses that. And then he has to contemplate over that and then open the beginning of that. So I think it's, it does work from a um, visual standpoint, but like the actor, the, the the human of me is like, I just switch up the stage. Yeah, yeah. That's actually, I didn't really think about, because again, I've, I've seen the show twice. Mm-hmm. I've seen the 1998 movie a couple times, but there is no intermission. Um, and then I didn't get to see any other live production. So I've seen two live productions. The first time I was, you know, I had no idea what I was watching. The second time I was just like, hey, let's have a drink before and let's go see this <laughs> show again. Um, so a lot of the thought that I've had since that I've now like analyzed this way more than any human probably should. <laughs> I don't I can't go back to that moment very easily and try to like think through what you just said, which is super interesting about how like it ties the two acts together mm-hmm. really seamlessly. That's, that's fascinating. I do, I do want to ask you one other thing about the performance. Cause you just mentioned too, that the costume is super heavy. What is that kind of quote unquote kidnap scene? Like that, that whole part, like in such a like thick and heavy coat that you do that in? Uh, for me, it was fine. It was, it's pretty easy. I mean, I do, I did most of like the, the acting of being like taken. So it was just like the two henchmen would, um, you know, grab my arms and then I would do like the shaking and all that stuff. And I think also that was me, like that was my, I mean, I guess I should like, you know, my uh, colleagues are working so hard. So I did get breaks, like I'm only in, you know, the opening and then I go away, but I'm like putting on makeup, getting ready to then have the reveal. And then if I didn't have that 20 minutes, I would have had all of the ball, the 20 minutes, and then basically everything leading up to the kidnap scene. So for me, I was like, oh, well, this is my chance to like now have my break. So I was like, you know, again, being like, this is my time to get off. So yeah. I was like, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up, take me off. Yeah, yeah, that makes that makes a ton of sense. I want to pivot to the rumor mill. So you talked about the family tree. And you said that you kind of come up with it in your own production. So what did you land on for your production? And I can tell you kind of what the internet thinks, but I would love to hear what you thought old Deuteronomy's kind of dad, girlfriends, wives. Okay. So I definitely think I'm Monk and Tugger's father. Okay. 
That's um, consensus online. So I think that yeah. one's that seems that seems like everyone they, believes that. Yeah, I think they have like that sort of like brother like rivalry where it's like, you know, probably I'm assuming maybe Monk is like slightly older and so therefore he's he's probably gonna be the next to like take over once I decide to just like give up the ghost. Yeah. And but at the same time I think Tugger is like obviously like cooler and so there's just that that given, you know, give and take. Um I think I probably have had kids with Jenny. I've probably had kids with um, Jelly. Um, I don't. Mm, I probably have had kids with Grizz. That's that's that's, yeah. the one that's kind of a question mark. Probably have had kids with Grizz, or if I haven't had any kittens with her, then I've definitely like we've had some sort of like tottery love affair yeah. that maybe went sour. Um, and I'm trying to think who the other like older. What about McCavity? I, I mean, there, I guess there's that that um, just use another cat like you know metaphor analogy, the scar, um, uh, like Mufasa sort of like. Uh, that's exactly so. That's exactly how I related it um, when I explained the two of them was that they're brothers. And one's mad that the other is the leader. Like it definitely fits. It's the right narrative. Yeah, um, you know, or or maybe even if they're not like related, it's just obviously some sort of like he could have been you know shunned, kicked out by me. Um, how his like family tied? Like maybe he's related to. I don't know. I don't even know who McCavity would be related to. Maybe he was related to Grizz and maybe he's like seeking revenge that she got, maybe that's like his like favorite aunt or something. And he's just like seeking revenge um, for her. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I didn't even think about McCavity as like a part of how he would fit in the tree or maybe, mm, or maybe he's related to Gus. Maybe like Gus is like nephew or something. Gus is a tough one because it seems like they, there's a lot about like who he's, had kids with but nothing else about like brothers or you know sisters to anybody so that's one yeah, that there's like, not a lot about yeah i feel like gus like probably like he was just so into the theater like he maybe didn't even have kids like you know he's you know gonna be everyone's like cool uncle but like maybe he doesn't have kittens of his own so that's why he does hold so close to his days in the theater um because you know he sacrificed having kittens for a career that's true. Um, the other reason I think McCavity kind of comes up is the having like powers, like magical powers, which is why there's some question mark about Mustafeles. Mm-hmm. So do you find, do you think Mustafeles has any relation that, that one gets really kind of messy because a lot of people think that he could be Tugger's brother, which would then potentially make you the father. But then a lot of people think Tugger and him are together. So I, I'm not sure where to, where Masaba yeah. falls in here. Oh gosh, I don't know. Oh. Did your cast ever think about these things, or do you just kind of totally? Like, no, yeah. yeah, everyone. I mean, and it's interesting just because, like, you know, we, because we just we spent so much time together in rehearsals. I think we rehearsed for six weeks prior to opening, and I mean, you you have to. I think one to make because the story is so loose. The stronger that, you know, any cast can come up with some sort of like thing that connects them as family, whatever it is, I think it would just, it, it, it helps the story read better. I mean, I think in ours, like our original Jenny was, I'm trying to remember, I think she said that like 
Rumple teaser was her daughter. I think like they were like mother daughter or something. So okay, it, yeah. I mean, it, it can literally it can go. I think it just depends on cast to cast. I mean, I think there are some more certain ones. Like I think most people would be like, yes, Monk is Duke's son. Like that probably would go from cast to cast. But things like Pounceville, Carbuckety, all of like the the kittens and things, I think is a little more. You have a little more free range with that to like create moments on stage where you know you're maybe it could be Jelly who's maybe more motherly, or it could be Jenny that's more motherly, or it could be um, you know maybe like Demeter. Um, I think you know like I think Demeter and like Bomb are like sisters or something. So. Yeah, there's there's a couple that seem kind of obvious, and then the more I've talked to cast members, it seems like a lot of it's just okay. We were staged next to each other, mm-hmm. so because of that, our interactions might feel that we have some relation here. Or there's just a lot of people in the theater community that was like, "Well, we worked on this show together before. We're friends, so even though maybe we're not supposed to be, we're gonna play well off each other, anyways." And I think I think that's kind of where, as I've talked to some of the super fans, it gets really funny to hear about how like they they have an expectation because they know the show so well and it's like they shouldn't be together and it's like well i think they're just like each other off stage you know like they're friends I mean, on stage honestly like the super fans should like come in at the beginning of any like cat setting because like they would probably be able to like i mean like the fans are probably like i mean i honestly think like cats was like the hamilton of the 80s where like it was just like such like this gangbusters hit and you know it's just has grown over like decades and countries and you know so many times you know people were like oh at stage you're like i you know brought my daughter 25 years ago and now she's here with you know her three-year-old or something and you know and then the daughter's like and so i think this person's related to this person and i'm just like wow like this is it's cool i mean the fact that like you know this story, which, and I think that's maybe why people love it so much, because it's, the story isn't as finite, I think, as a lot of other things. So you can, I think you like maybe uh, super fans feel like they have a, a say in who's with who, and and um, they have, it's like they're kind of like writing the, their own little part of like the old possum songs of like, who's related to who, and on all these like sort of theories. So I, I don't know, I think it, it's, once you, I know as like a, before I was a part of the show, you know, Cats is like the butt of so many musical theater jokes. And, um, but, you know, one, now that I've done it twice, and especially with the tour, doing it for a year and a half, you know, it's, it really does have a story. If I think the cast does a really good job of like bringing it up. That's, it, it's such a true piece. When I left the first time, I was like, I get why it's, it's, it's an easy target. I mean, I've made plenty of jokes just with this podcast. It's an easy target for a lot of things because it's so loose. There's some, you know, it's, it's so different too. Like at the time it was, it was so, so unique at its time. Uh, but at the same time I did walk out and said, as someone who can't sing or dance or do any of these things, like I was mesmerized by the talent on stage, like at how, you know, like I, I'm a big sports fan and I always love like going to a professional game and it's like, cause you get to watch the two, you know, the, the best people at their craft. And I'm like, that's what, that's what you're watching as well. You're watching these people at the top of their craft doing these performances. And it's, it's so cool to see. And so that was kind of like when I left, I was like, yeah, I've got like a hundred jokes about it. And I've got so many things that like, I needed more alcohol for, for matinee that I, I didn't have any, but 100% fair. But at the same time, I did walk out impressed um, and with a couple songs stuck in my head. 
Yeah, I mean, and I think that's ultimately what it, what it is. I mean, it's like I think this show for I think even like I don't know, hope I'm not like misquoting, but I remember at the when Andy Blankenbuehler came at some point because I think actually the Hamilton was rehearsing a few floors below us at New Forty Two. Um, and he came up and he was like, Cats was his dream, like to be in that show. And he had auditioned like a certain amount of times. And unfortunately it never was cast. But I think for a lot of dancers of that era, and even probably before his, like that was like the show to like try to get in. Like it was like the dancers Olympics. Um, as a non-dancer myself, I would assume yeah. <laughs> that is what it is to be like in like, you know, that show, like as maybe like as like a chorus line was you know, maybe, you know, 10 or 15 years prior to when Cats opened. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it just definitely holds a special place. I mean, obviously, it, it does hold a special place for um, for anyone that's gone through the show. I mean, I think you're forever changed as a performer if you get a chance to do a production of Cats. You don't become one of the longest running shows ever without something that sticks. Yeah. Prescription products require completion of an online medication consultation with an independent healthcare provider through the LifeMD platform and are only available if prescribed. Subscription required. Individual results may vary. Additional restrictions apply at LifeMD.com. Read all warnings before using GLP-1s. Side effects may include a risk of thyroid C-cell tumors. Do not use GLP-1s if you or your family have a history of thyroid cancer. If you've struggled for years to lose weight and have given up hope, did you know you can now access GLP-1 prescription medications through LifeMD? LifeMD is now offering eligible patients online access to GLP-1s, the breakthrough prescription medication that can help you lose body fat and weight. Listen to what people are saying. You just take your shot. It doesn't feel like you're on a diet. What I wasn't expecting it to do was to shut off the food noise. This was life-altering, and if I can do it, I feel like anybody can do it. And here's the best part. Your insurance may cover 100% of the cost of your medication. So go to TryLifeMD.com to have your eligibility checked right now. Get started today at TryLifeMD.com. That's T-R-Y-L-I-F-E-M-D.com. So let's do some rapid fire. So if you were not Old Deuteronomy, which cat would you want to play and why? I think I would want to be... The Plato McCavity track. Um, it's a hard track to do, but um, you know you get to do the paw with Victoria in uh, the in the ball, and you can also just have the McCavity fight, which is, I mean, I love that music. I think for me, it's just like that music in particular, the McCavity fight was so awesome because being in the booth. I was with the musicians, like I was with the people that played. And so like, even though um, you obviously like the audience hears everything, I just like being 10 feet away from like the drums and the guitar and like everyone just like blaring, just it was really cool. So I just really love that music. And so I think I would love to, to dance that, uh, dance that number. Awesome. Do you think you could, so I, I like asking this question because I love asking like the, when you're a singer over the dancers and there's like, you know, a couple of the um, Jennies were like, I want to be bomb because I just would never get casted as that. Like, could you think you could pull off that dance number? Is that in your repertoire? Absolutely not. No, <laughs> no. <laughs> um, our uh, Plato McCavity are both of them because we had to, or any, in also any of our covers and swings, you know, they killed it. Um, you know, there's the, the famous like over the head press that, um, played about to do it in the ball 
And it's like already like you, this is the end of the act. Like you're exhausted and you still have to do the rest of the number. Like, you know, and then to do your, then do your big number and act too. Like, it's just, no, there's no way I could do it. But it would be nice to just like experience it once. Like if someone could like give me the ability to do it just to do it one time. Yeah. The one out of body experience night where you get to, to attempt it. Yeah. Um, what is your favorite and least favorite cat? Not character, not person, or I guess character, not person. My favorite cat. Mm. It's hard because I'm like trying to like, I'm thinking of like the people that go with the cat and I'm trying to, because we, I think we were down two or three cats from the Broadway. They like, I think cut. They cut Carbuckety and Electra. So some of our, to make sure that still, the things still worked as they did on Broadway, some people like had to do like basically kind of like a split track in a way, like where they were doing like half of someone else's track from Broadway to like make things work. Um, I think my favorite cat would be Mungo Jerry, I think. And that, was, uh, that was a song that I had stuck in my head for like weeks after I saw the show. <laughs> um, and my least favorite. I mean, I guess I'm going to say this one because then I don't think it would hurt anyone's feelings if anyone in my cast were to listen. But because just he does Peter. That's that's been my answer. Peter, like Peter, one. like, Peter. you know, even though I did Peter, like, you know, he's there, he has his little moment and then he goes away. So I would say Peter's my least favorite. I, so Peter bothered me so much when I was researching this that I did an entire episode devoted to him just to try to make up stories for him because <laughs> there's nothing written online about Peter. It's just, it seems like it was a, that name's in the poem, you need a body in the opening number. Mm-hmm. And so we're just going to call that body Peter. And then you're going to go away and do the rest of your track. And that to me just seems like so unnecessary for this play that has such thought put into a lot of the other things to just like throw this, like, and especially just the name too, like all these great names. And then it's like, and Peter go out there, do your dance and leave. Yeah. And I think also like it gave me as like a performer, I mean, I only did that maybe five times um, on tour, but you know, it's, it's a lot because you have to, you know, get in when everyone else, you have to do your makeup, but then like, you have to come on stage and then like be taking off that makeup, putting on more makeup. And then you have like, you know, your wig person and, you know, waiting for you to like, you know, put the stuff on for Buster Jones. You're like wiping makeup off your face and then you have to do that and then, you know, do that all over again. So it's like, if there was no Peter, like that track would just be Buster Jones and then you could be Gus. And like Peter just kind of really like, throws a wrench into the plan because it's like I'm only in like you know the opening and the naming of cats and this just seems like a lot to do for like a lot of makeup and you know costuming because I think also you have to underdress I had to underdress for Peter so it's just a lot so yeah Peter is definitely my least favorite a lot for no value see that even adds more to it I do have a theory for Peter which is that there's a theory that there's a Grizabella baby Grizabella and one of the opening dance numbers and Peter's in the opening dance number. I think that they, it's the ghost of Christmas pass and that he's St. Peter. And he's like, the two of them are only in that number. And then they can't be in anymore because 
otherwise that would ruin the fact that she goes and dies at the end. Okay. I like that. That's how much time I've spent thinking about this show, which when you get to that point. Um, okay. So if you had my, I guess, Oh, you already answered favorite song. So favorite song is McCavity. You said, um, I, I like that. that music, I would say probably, I don't know if it's cast. I think my favorite lyric in the show is in McCa- in in McCavity, the 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 um, bomb and Demeter duet, just because I love Scotland and so they say Scotland Yards and so I just and I think also like I like that musical section there, um, and you know being a blues singer, you know we have to keep ourselves occupied and so you know we would be you know wherever in a trap room or with the band kind of dancing along and so my other core cohort and I would kind of just like dance along to that part a lot. So maybe I would say McCavity with the ball, like being like really like uh, tight because I just, I mean, watching my cast every night was, it's amazing. I mean, the ball just is, I think one of the best pieces of like theater to be completely honest. I mean, like what, they're doing on stage is unreal and they have to do it eight times a week. Like that's, it's crazy. Like even like months removed, like thinking about it, like is wild. It is. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of, you know, the other thing too is it's basically an orgy, which is like kind of a Mm -hmm. bizarre thing to to think about, but it's such a, um, like you said, it's a, it's a unique piece of theater. I have one more kind of rapid fire. And then I want to ask you, of course, my, my million dollar question, but the uh, if you had to be quarantined with one of the cats, if you were stuck stuck at home, which one would you want to hang out with? Oh gosh, probably. I feel like I, I want to have fun. And so I feel like one of the more fun numbers, I guess if we're going with my version, because I know like in the original, she's a little older, but maybe Jenny, because I feel like not only would I have a clean house, but like it would still be fun. Like it would just be like a lot of just like, you know, making sure that like my things are tidy, but like, you know, we're having like a a game night. Like it it would just be like a little... I don't know, a little party. I feel yeah, you would you would sleep all day, and then and I like to sleep, and so that that works. Like I, I am one that's like uh, I'm a, a night owl, and so like yeah, I could sleep in, and then like have the rest of my day, and then you know do maybe a chore here or there, and then you know have fun the rest of the night. So I would say probably Jenny, and I love that number. And you know it was always sad because it was like oh that's such a great number, but it's at the beginning. Yeah. And so then I think sometimes people forget like it was such a great number. Um, you know, being when I was a booth singer. I, I could leave um, basically as soon as bows were done. And so I would be amongst the people. Um, I like, as I would leave the theater to go back to like my Airbnb or my hotel or whatever. And, you know, I just get to hear what people think and I'm dressed normal and people they're like, Oh, you probably was a patron as well. So, you know, we hear things like people like, and I remember someone being like, Oh yeah, I really like that Jenny any dots, but I feel like I forgot about her because her number was at the beginning. So I would probably say Jenny would be the one I would want to be pointing. I think I think you might be the only person that's answered that way, but it's a your sound logic. So I think you're <laughs> you've got someone that's gonna. What do other people say? I'd be curious. Um, 
a lot of so a couple people have said Tugger, mm. a couple people have said Mustafa. I, I it was it was a few. It was a I'm trying to think who because I've definitely had a variety of answers. And Mustafa's is pretty common. Oh yeah, okay, Mustafa, okay. And then I've I've had moments where I've thought. Buster Jones probably has a really nice house, a well-stocked fridge, and he's probably going to leave me alone. Exactly. My yeah. My only fear with Buster Jones is that I would gain more quarantine weight than I've already gained. <laughs> but I'm sure it would be really good. Yeah, I think I think that's. Um, I've already given up on that front, and so <laughs> if I'm just going to embrace that, I feel like I'm going to eat well. <laughs> so let's get to my million dollar question. I have argued, and this entire podcast has been about right. I think Grizabella was the wrong choice to die at the end of the musical and you being old Deuteronomy makes that choice every night. So if you were writing this play over again, if you were deciding that you were given free reign as old Deuteronomy, would you still pick Grizabella? And if not, who would you choose? Okay. I'm going to answer this question, but it's like double fold if that's okay. That's fine. Um, I hear the logic. You gotta, you gotta sell me on the, on the answer. As the character, or sorry, as the writer, I would still choose Grizabella, and here's why. Again, I think this goes back to having a really strong cast that tells the story, because I've always, I always said, and I think I did this in an interview on the road, that a lot of the story, in my opinion, isn't really told in through the numbers. It's told in like the the quieter moments. Like you have to look at the relationships between like if like a big number is happening or someone is like having the focus, you have to kind of watch what the other cats are doing to I think see how they react to Grizabella. And I think the biggest thing is when in Remark the Cat. You, you, you do see that moment, and you also see it before a little memory. Um, but I think you see the personalities of, like, the, those cats. And and to say, like, yes, I think the, the story is told in the quiet moments, not in the, the sun moments, because because it is poetry, there's nothing that really is like, this is the story we're telling you about the story <laughs> yeah. now. This is the plot. <laughs> um, and so because the way that they treat her... And then that in that moment before moments of happiness, and then even throughout the show, because moments of happiness happens, and then it's just like we're back to a party, you know, we're back, we're like moving on to, you know, or I guess not really, because then there's Gus. But after Gus, after like Peaks and Skimble Shanks and all these other numbers, you kind of forget about like, wait a minute, like are these cats actually thinking about like what old Deuteronomy said at the beginning of Act Two? And so I think Grizabella has deserved her redemption. Um, she has really laid it out on the line. Now, me as a person, I would be like, no, Grizabella, Gus should be the one to go. He's old. He's literally on his last breath. We don't know how many more Jellicle balls he's going to get to. So me as a person would be like, sorry, girl, like, let's just like fold you back in and see how you do for a second. And then, you know, maybe next year or whenever the next, um, the next show the ball is like, you know, we'll reconsider it. But also like something else, like, I also don't think Victoria should be the one to touch her. And like, interesting. Okay. Walk me through that. I think it should be syllabub. <laughs> she's the one that like I give the message to. Like so, after I finish moments of happiness, I touch the twins, and then they touch syllabub to sing moonlight, which then 
is what you, you if you're an arts movie, you've already heard that tune because you've heard it from Grizabella at the end of Act One. And then she's also the one, they have the little duet when they do, when she sings Big Memory, like after she falls, you know, Syllable's voice is the one that like, kind of like she, Grizabella hears it and it's like, you know, what, I can't remember the lyrics now, like before the big note. Um, and I don't know, I just feel like, why does Victoria, like they've had no moments until that moment when he, she touches her. So I really feel like Syllable should come down and be the one to like put her paw in Grizabella's paw. I've felt that, I feel very strongly about that. I don't know why I feel so strongly about it, but I feel like, at least in our production, and I'm sure it is also in the revival, I don't know if it's was in the original, there's like a kind of slight moment where Victoria like kind of goes to her um, when she comes in at the end of the ball, but I feel like syllabub, at least the syllabubs that we have were just always just so like, the way that they played it, we're just so curious to get to know her and wanting to know her, but like all the elders said no. And again, she is the one that basically kind of is her voice in her head. I don't know. That's just my personal opinion. So again, this is why this is a fascinating show. Is that like an angle that I had never even remotely considered is something that's like the the part that's bothering you most about it. And and that's like again fascinating that like that moment is like because you know this is your this is how it should be and it's that that small change that also feels kind of like a big change. I think the reason a lot of people think Victoria does it is because it's her abandoned daughter. That could be. I mean, that could be. I mean, I think there's obviously like there's nothing in like the story or like in any of these stages that I've seen that like pertains to that. I mean, I think the one thing about the Grizz Victoria dynamic is that I think probably like at some point Grizabella was the Victoria. She probably was like the prima ballerina cat because that before she sings Little Memory, she does like her strutting around stage when she's, you know, taking up space and trying to relive those glory days, which, you know, Victoria's I don't think she really gets a moment in the ball to breathe. And I and I guess my rationale is that probably like she was that cat. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I can see that, um, but I just feel like looking at it from a very, like, in my opinion, like, looking at the facts that, like, again, Syllabub is the one that sings Moonlight, and she's also the one that, like, again, sings, they have their little duet in Big Memory, and so, I don't know, I just feel like she's the one that, like, is to get her to, like, stand up and be like, you know, touch me and so easy to leave me. Maybe not literally the one that does it but there's that there's that moment (laughs) that you see and therefore she should be the one to come down and touch her and so i'm going to um write andrew weber and see if If he answers you let me know because he's ignored all my dms um so i the the thing that that's kind of stuck with me so far is that when you talked about the intermission about seeing grizabella sing and be on the stage by herself and you're there i've never kind of made that that could be the argument of like she won in that moment. Like that is the piece. Do you think that there's some merit to that? That like, that's the moment you decided she's probably, she's going to be the winner. I mean, yeah, I think these are the things that like, you know, we as like actors have to do. We have to like, if there, the text isn't clear of being like, there's not a moment where like my character would be like, now I think she's the one who will be the jellical choice. Yeah. Like then I have to like 
play that action. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I do think that moment is huge. Um, you know, again, me as a person, <laughs> I'm like, oh, Deuteronomy, why don't you just go over there and talk to her? Like, you're right there. Just be like, hey, Grizabella, let's chat. But I mean, obviously that would not be, um, that would not then advance the story. But as like a character, yes, I do think like having that moment of just kind of sitting back and watching her have this very private moment, um, I think just breaks his heart because he's like, this is not what I've taught my my tribe to be. Um, this is not who we are. Um, and so therefore, like, what am I going to do about it as the leader to then get them to realize that, you know, everyone deserves a second chance and they deserve redemption. And she is one of us. She was one of us, even before some of you were even here. And I think, again, to go back to your question, I think that's why she has to be the clear person to be chosen. That is a compelling argument. Not enough to give me the rename the podcast, but a very compelling argument. Oh, I was really like, it's he like, thought, he podcast, like Adam was just like blown it. No, yeah. So who do you think should be chosen? Uh, I mean, so I, I've always argued that I looked at it purely as a singing competition, like an America's Got Talent. And in that case, or um, an X Factor, which because I saw it with Leona Lewis the first time, the uh, that it should be uh, Tugger and Mustafa's together, and we're going to pair them together because to me those were two of the most entertaining numbers that like I thought combine those two showstoppers kind of thing. Um, That was always been my argument. That's kind of how I kind of base it around. I think the most clear argument outside of Grizabella's redemption story is Gus. Gus's story kind of fits um, a lot of he's the oldest he's lived the life. Um, but I think like those are to me, my kind of like fun uh, Tugger and Mistopheles, mm-hmm. Gus or Grizabella, I think are the three that you could like realistically make. Um, mm-hmm. There's been some arguments for Jelly and Jenny, just I mean, kind of anybody that's on the older side of the cats. Someone's kind of always thought maybe but at the same time i think everyone interprets the show the way the way it was written so there's some version of like okay this would be the one that makes the most sense otherwise i'm not even in the running it's interesting because even older neuronomy is like not even on stage for a lot of their like presentations like you know he it doesn't come on until pretty much the end of act one and then so he only really sees he sees the ball then he sees gus he sees Skimble and then he's gone, you know, from a cavity and then he basically misses most of Mustafa's big number until, you know, obviously he comes back. So it's like, how are you making this choice when, when you're missing on stage? And when I would play Gus in my mind, I would kind of like, you know, like when I would walk to get into the receiving line, I would like say to the person who was playing, I was like, it should have been me. <laughs> Yeah, give them, let them know. Yeah. So most important question, how do we find you on social media? How do we get in touch? How do we stay in touch? Find me on Instagram at Atom, like Adam, but like spelled like the scientific way, A-T-O-M, and then Rich, R-I-C-H, underscore 12. Amazing. Um, And I'll make sure to link that in the description. So if you don't want to find it you can go link it that way um but thank you so much for for being an amazing guest today and coming on and 
telling me a ton about, I mean, enlightening me on some things I hadn't thought about at all. And then also just being able to, to kind of tell a little bit about your experience with the show. I, this was such a pleasure. I was really looking forward to it. Um, this is my first podcast and yeah, I really enjoyed it. Welcome to the podcast world. And uh, thank you for listening to this episode with Adam Richardson on The Wrong Cat Died, the podcast breakdown of the cat catastrophe. To follow along, you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Wrong Cat Died, or check out our website, TheWrongCatDied.com. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.